All right, we are uh, continuing our study in Colossians chapter 3, looking at uh, the transformation into the image of Christ that uh, the Lord intends for all who are in Christ, who are risen with him, whose lives are hid with Christ in God. And uh, so this uh, new man that is spoken of in verse 10 is that which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And so it is Christ-likeness to which we are headed as children of God. And um, the instruction of these verses uh, are helpful to that end. So again, the passage is written to those who know the Lord as their Savior and uh, who are desiring to live for him. The section that we are in at the end of chapter 3 has to do with various uh, human relationships. And uh, we last time began considering, starting at verse 22, down through chapter 4, verse 1, the relationship between servants or slaves and their masters. And I would uh, just want to speak uh, a a word of clarification. Um, I raised, I think, some concern uh, when I made the statement that there is nothing inherently wrong with slavery. Um, That, I believe, is a true statement, but it was uh, perhaps misunderstood. Uh, Slavery as done in the mid-1800s, both in uh, North America as well as in uh, the UK and I'm sure other places as well, um, was very problematic. And uh, for if for no other reason than the majority of those who were slaves had been kidnapped. And uh, the Lord very clearly speaks against that. Uh, in the Old Testament Mosaic Law, uh, that was a, uh, a, a sin punishable by death, right? So to kidnap another person uh, would had a death penalty. And uh, so that was very much involved, not to mention uh, the many, many other um, grossly wrong and inhumane uh, treatments, uh, lots of sinful uh, conduct, uh, slave owners toward their slaves and so on. So I'm not in any way condoning any of that. So I just want to you know, make sure that that, that is clear. Um, but the point that I was trying to make <coughs> is that <coughs> the Bible uses that language, slave and master language, to speak of our relationship with our God, with the Lord, with the Master. And uh, that very much comes to the, to the surface in this section, though it is a speaking to the human relationship of a slave and his masters, it very much brings into consideration our relationship with our Heavenly Master. And uh, that is true both for those of us who on a human level would be slaves or in our modern um, situations, employees. But it also applies to those who would be masters or employers. Both have a heavenly master. And in this passage, both of us are directed to, to bring our heavenly master and our service for him as his slaves, right? As those who are owned entirely by him. We are to bring that relationship into our human earthly employee-employer relationships and our, uh, our thinking of our service for God is to shape and affect our service for our earthly employer or uh, customer if we're self-employed, that kind of a thing, right? So so it is in that sense and that context that I was trying to point out that there is nothing inherently wrong with slavery, 
And when it's the Lord who is the master, uh, it, there's everything right about me being a servant, a bondservant, a slave of him. And uh, so that is what we want to emphasize. So we're not in any way trying to whitewash the atrocities of uh, human slavery, especially as done in the mid-1800s and prior, and I assume still done in some places of the world, right? But the Lord would speak, and again, he is speaking in the first century, Paul writing this, he was writing to people, Christian people, who were slaves, right? And uh, so he is speaking to them, uh, even in the midst of that slavery, and he is giving instruction to them as to how to conduct themselves. And we noted last time uh, from some parallel passages that, that what is at stake in the Christian's conduct is the testimony and name of our Heavenly Master, the Lord. Right? And, and we can so conduct ourselves as to bring reproach unto the Lord's name. That we are not to do. Right, And so if we would heed and follow uh, the instruction that the Lord gives us here by his grace, uh, that will not happen. And in fact, our service will be another means of bearing witness to Christ and pointing people to him and uh, moving them perhaps to consider his claims on them. And that they would recognize their rebellion against him. And by uh, observing our example, not only in deed, but obviously in word as well, as we would share the gospel with them, uh, the Lord can use that uh, to bring them to to saving faith. So we want to continue. So last time we were emphasizing a slave's uh, relationship to his master and and endeavoring to bring into our thinking uh, our heavenly master, all right? So we'll touch on that yet again, but we do want to focus more specifically on the specific instruction that is given in these verses as to how we are to conduct ourselves. Uh, First as slaves, and I don't think we'll get there tonight, uh, but there is obviously in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, some instruction to masters as well. So a slave's service to his master. Uh, one word, obey. Right? And uh, notice how that is put in verse 22. Servants or slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. So with that last phrase, masters according to the flesh, obviously it's earthly masters that are in view here. Um, And the instruction from the Lord, the command, is that slaves would obey. This is a term we've seen before. It was there in verse 20, uh, speaking to children. Children, obey your parents in all things. Right? So there's a parallel here. Uh, children were to obey their parents in all things. Verse 22, slaves are to obey their masters in all things. So again, this is a recognition of earthly human authority. Uh, all of this authority is delegated from God. Right, So God is the one who gives parents authority over their children. God is the one who gives Uh, masters the authority over their uh, servants or slaves. And of course, uh, God is the one who gives uh, government, human government authority and so on. It's all delegated uh, from the Lord. And so the command is to obey. Literally, this is the idea of listening under, right? So there's there's this view of submission. Uh, Listening is part of, it's a compound word. Right, and listening is part of that, right? So there's this, this implied hearing of instruction and command. And then the hearing under is that submission, that obedience, right? That doing of what we are told. Again, one dictionary defines the term to obey 
on the basis of having paid attention to. Right? So I've paid attention. I've actually listened. And now I'm going to uh, render my obedience. And as I pointed out, uh, same uh, command is given in verse 20 to children. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, the same term is used of Sarah's obedience to her husband, right? So in verse 18, when wives' relationship to their husbands was spoken of, a different term, the term translated submit, is used, but there's definitely some overlap um, because the same term here we see in uh, Sarah's obedience to her husband Abraham. Uh, Notice the scope of this obedience. Servants obey in all things. Again, same as children in verse 20. This is a very broad scope, right? I mean, all things. Uh, So uh, that we need to understand as the default position, the starting position is obedience. Um, And what's interesting is Peter gives us instruction uh, pointing out, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, or the perverse, the twisted. Right, and actually, let's turn to that passage. So, First Peter chapter two. Okay, so remember, this obedience is to be in all things. Uh, that's our starting point, right? So, so there there can be exception, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But the starting point is this position of obedience, right? Uh, so that's that needs to to shape our thinking that that you know with before any questions or objections are raised, we have to bring ourselves to where we have to start in our thinking is I've got to listen under, I've got to obey. So as I pointed out, verse eighteen of First Peter chapter two. Uh, calls servants to subjection to their masters, and that is independent of the quality of master that they might have, right? Again, on a human level, right? So you could have a good and gentle master. A lot easier to obey in that setting. But the obedience isn't negated when the master is not good and gentle. Um, when he is, and the term here is froward, and so there is, there is something twisted, there's something off, there's something not right about his conduct, right, uh, is, is the, the picture. And then he goes on, verse 19, for this is thankworthy, If a man for conscience toward God, okay, and that's very interesting because it's bringing God into the picture. Here I am, a servant, and I've got this master, and what if he's a froward master? Okay, well, don't forget to bring God into the picture. And for conscience toward God, because I know that I am answerable to him, He is my ultimate master, and I, in all my doings, am serving him. Okay, So, in my service for him, I may well endure grief, suffering wrongfully. So, here's this master, and he is perverse, he is froward, and he is... um, causing me to suffer, though I have done nothing wrong. right? And I am enduring that suffering quietly because my eyes are on the Lord. And I'm serving the Lord. right? My master is, is not worthy. 
right? Because he's unjust, because he's malicious, because he's whatever. But I am rendering service to the Lord. And so that is going to shape my response, even to this master that is not as he should be. So he goes on. This then is thankworthy. If for conscience toward God, you endure grief, suffering wrongfully. And then he points out, what glory is it if when, if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? In other words, you know, you have done something wrong and you're suffering for it. What glory is it if you take that patiently? Right? You shouldn't have done the wrong. Right? Uh, so, but he goes on, if when you do well and you suffer for it and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called. In other words, you were called to do well. You were called to do well all the time. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. We are always to do well. We are always to do good, right? Even when our earthly master is not good, right? We are always to do good. Um, Verse 21 continues, even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, commits himself to the Father. Right? So interestingly, Christ stands as our example. There was no sin in him, but he suffered. Oh, how he suffered. Right? And of course, there are many, many levels or many aspects to that suffering. It's in that suffering that our redemption is accomplished, and that was his purpose for coming to this earth, right? And so there there are many levels to it, but on a human level, Peter's point is, here is your example, right? Don't do wrong. Don't sin, right? If you suffer, bear it patiently, right? With conscience toward God, right? Commit yourself to the Lord. And you know what? The Lord is your master. But the Lord is also your master's master. And that master of yours, earthly master of yours, that's not doing right, you know who's going to hold him accountable? The Lord will hold him accountable. And folks, when when we get to the end of Romans 12, if the Lord gives us enough time, Uh, we'll get to the end of Romans 12, right? And at the end of Romans 12, we are admonished to not avenge ourselves, to give place to the wrath of God. Vengeance is his. He will repay, right? He's the master. He's the master of your master, right? And so that uh, is intended to encourage our hearts. So the point being, servants... Back to Colossians chapter 3. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And the scripture anticipates situations where our masters are not doing right, where they are not reasonable, where they are unkind and unjust and hurtful. And yet the Lord calls us to obey. Uh, So that is a very broad, broad scope. That is our starting position, right? And there is no exception for unreasonable master, right? Now, there is, though it's not stated in our text, other scripture points out to us, there is an understood exception 
that when the earthly master is requiring something contrary to what our heavenly master requires, then we obey God rather than men. Right? And that is true of any earthly authority. Right? If a parent is requiring something of a child that violates God's word, then that child is to obey God rather than their parent, right? And so it is a slave or a servant, an employee. If that employer is requiring that employee, because I'm an accountant, to fudge the books, okay, this is your job, I'm the boss. You know, you know yes, we sold it for that, but no, you write down that. I'm sorry, I can't do that, right? I, I've got to obey the Lord, right? And so that is the implied, uh, from the rest of Scripture, the whole context of Scripture, that's the implied exception, right? But if that employer is requiring something of me that I don't particularly like, right? Um, that, you know, is hard, Difficult, right, for me to do. Um, the Lord, and but it's not a violation of what God says. I'm supposed to do it, right? Uh, even though I don't particularly like doing it or or whatever, right? Uh, so there is the scope. Obedience and obedience in all things. The passage then goes on to provide some additional qualification, right? So again, this is, this is helping us understand the kind of obedience. Our obedience is to be not, to not be with eye service as men pleasers, right? So a slave service to his master, point number one, obedience Point number two, not merely eye service. What is eye service? Well, it actually has the word eyes in it, right? Compound word. Uh, the one part of the word is service, the service that a slave would give. The other part of the word is eyeballs, right? Uh, so, um, you know, this speaks of service. And one dictionary defines it this way, one who wants to look good only when the master is around. Another dictionary defines it this way, service that is performed only to make an impression in the owner's presence. Right? So in other words, when the boss is looking, look at Joe Go. Man, he's just working. He's putting out like anything, right? And, uh, you know, just work, 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 work. Boss is gone. And there's Joe, you know, goofing off, hanging out at the water cooler, right? Chatting up everybody. Oh, boss is coming. Oh, no, right? Uh, for a Christian, uh, not at all appropriate. So obviously the implication is that when the master is not around, the quality or quantity of the slave's service degrades substantially. And the Lord is saying, no, you can't do that. Right? The one who renders uh, only eye service is, the passage tells us, a men pleaser. Right? So in other words, not with eye service, as men pleasers. Okay, so the point being, I'm doing what I'm doing so that that man, my boss, is pleased, right? And so when I know that he's watching, I'll do, right? When he's not watching, there's no need to do, right? Or at least not with the same effort, not with the same diligence, right? Not with the same output because he's not watching. You will never know, right? So that kind of thinking shows that the person's chief concern, the slave's chief concern, is pleasing that man, right? Or woman, right? The, the boss. Okay. 
But an alternative is given for children of God. Okay? So my obedience is to be is to not be with eye service as a men pleaser, but instead, notice the language. But, so here's the contrast, in singleness of heart, fearing God. So my obedience is to be in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatever that means is in contrast to the guy who's wanting to please the boss and he works like crazy when the boss is watching. Right? So what does that second phrase mean? In singleness of heart, fearing God. Well, keep your finger here, but let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians 6, of course, is a parallel passage, and there is a statement made here on this same topic that will point us in the right direction. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Same phrase, right? But look what's put in contrast. But as the slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Okay, So both of them are saying not as I service as men pleasers. Colossians 3, 22. Is it 22? Uh, yes. So Colossians 3, 22, Ephesians 6, 6. Both of them are saying not with eye service as men pleasers, both of them give a contrast, right? Ephesians 6 gives the contrast that we are servants of Christ. We are slaves of Christ. We are to do the will of God from the heart, okay? So that is rightly put parallel with what Colossians puts in contrast. Colossians puts in contrast this singleness of heart Fearing God, right? So that that is a, a another way of saying that I am doing what I'm doing as a slave of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Singleness of heart, fearing God is the same idea. Different language, different emphasis, but the same idea, right? So, for a Christian... Rendering only eye service as a men pleaser is not acceptable service because we are not serving merely men. We are not serving only an earthly master. More important for the Christian is that we are also serving the Lord. That's the point that Ephesians 6 is making. right? And... By the way, when is the Lord watching? All the time. Right? Okay. So if we're only serving men, then, okay, boss is watching, go for it. Boss isn't watching, right? Slack off. But if we're serving the Lord, when is the Lord watching? He's watching all the time. Right? That is going to shape the Christian's service. Right? So I need to do what I'm doing with that truth in mind. I am serving a greater master. I am serving the Lord of heaven. Right? And so he is calling for a certain kind of service from me. Right? And the term that is used here in Colossians is this idea of singleness of heart. One dictionary defines it this way, the quality of sincerity as an expression of singleness of purpose or motivation. Purity of motive is the idea here. Right. So motive is in view, 
and a singleness, a sincerity, a purity of motive. Again, one other writer puts it this way. This term in our literature especially uh, refers to personal integrity expressed in word or action and the colloquial uh, expression, what you see is what you get. Uh, is uh, comes into view here. So there's this simplicity, sincerity, uprightness, frankness. Obey with a sincere heart, Ephesians 6. The idea is not with an outward show that conceals improper motivation. Right. So that's, again, the whole point. This is not just outward show. This is not just when the boss is watching. But there is this recognition, and it's captured in that uh, next phrase in Colossians 3, singleness of heart, fearing God. So our purpose or motivation, the singleness, the sincerity, the purity of our purpose or motivation has uh, is colored by our fear of the Lord. Given... That beyond serving our earthly master, our service is ultimately to the Lord, as Colossians 3.23 says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Uh, Given that, our reverence and respect for God drives the character of our service. So I have this great reverence for the Lord. And I have been taught by his word that whatever it is that I am doing, right now we're speaking of the work context, whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm doing it to him. Right. So that has to affect the character of my service, does it not? Right? I mean, what, what is it that you want to offer to the Lord? Do you want to offer half-hearted to the Lord? Is that all that he is worthy of? Right? Is that the best that you would give to him? Right? No, as the hymn writer says, give of your best to the master. Not else is worthy his love. Right? I mean, what has he given to us? He gave himself literally for us. So, you know, if we're thinking rightly about him, if we are rightly revering him, if our respect for him is as it should be, we would hold back nothing. Right? We would work and work and work for him. Right? And he is surely worthy. All right? So, Servants, obey, your, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Right, so obedience. Qualified, not with eye service, not merely eye service as a men pleaser, but no, I've got this single purpose, this single-minded purpose that has God right in the center of my view, right, and my right thinking about God. And that's going to uh, drive my motivation, the character of my service. What's the result? If that is the case, what would the result be? Verse 23, here's the result right, of having that kind of purpose, of not being merely a men pleaser. Here's the result. Whatsoever you do, And again, that's broad, right? Obey in all things. Okay, whatsoever you do, do, and literally that's work. It's the word for work. Whatsoever you do, work heartily, our translation says, and that is literally from your soul. You work heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And so here is this idea then. Here I am. I'm showing up for work. 
right? So I'm, I'm doing my earthly service for my earthly employer, but all along as a Christian taught by the word of God, transformed into the image of Christ, I come to work with the recognition that everything I do, I'm doing for the Lord, right? I mean, yes, the earthly employer is here. They should be benefiting from what I'm doing, but I'm not doing it primarily for that person. I'm doing it primarily for the Lord, right? So that rises above that earthly master and in a sense takes him or her out of the picture. They can be, what would we say? They could be a jerk, right? But I'm serving the Lord, right? And so it doesn't matter that they're, they're perverse, that they're froward. I'm serving the Lord. And so that's going to bring me to work and that's going to bring me um, or, or move me to hearty from my soul service, right? Uh, without reservation, a wholeheartedness as opposed to a half-heartedness. And so the point is, as we pointed out last week or endeavored to, we are to bring the Lord directly into our thinking about work. Regardless of how good or not good, our earthly master or employer is, regardless of how appreciative or not, how just or not, our service is to be done as unto the Lord. He is always good. He is always appreciative. He is always just. I mean, even a cup of cold water given in his name, receives its reward. That's the God that you're serving, right? That's the person that we're serving, that God, right? So he surely is worthy of our best, right? And what is so interesting here is that the the immediate context of this is not for pastors, or missionaries, we can understand them giving wholehearted service, right? Because they're preaching the gospel, doing whatever, right? This is the plumber, or the ditch digger, or the bricklayer, or the shed builder, or the accountant, or the cook, right? The taxi driver, whatever it is that we're doing, right? Our secular employment, is to be done to the Lord. What a very interesting perspective, right, that God calls us to take to the living of life. And for our encouragement, this obedience, not merely I service, but from my soul, Serving the Lord is to be done with this encouragement. Verse 24, knowing, right? So all of the above is done knowing this, that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ, right? He won't miss any of it, right? All of the service that you render, he knows and takes note of, right? And he will be pleased to bless in light of it. Uh, So interesting. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The writer to the Hebrews picks up on this on a number of points, this idea. And uh, we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 6. Whoops, sorry. Hebrews chapter 11. It's verse 6, Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, so all of this that I have said, I have said based on God's word. The question is, do you believe this? If we believe it, what should be the result? It would affect our conduct, right? We would endeavor, we would look to the Lord, 
We had asked for his help, for his enablement, right? For that dying to self, because when that boss is not as they ought to be, we don't want to be as we ought to be, right? And the Lord says, no, I need to bring rain in that old man that wants to get angry and I'll show him, right? No, we rein that in and we render that from the soul service to the Lord, right? That's how it ought to work. And um, the idea is that that's what God's word is calling us to. The question is, do we believe it, right? So if we really believed it, we would endeavor by God's grace to live it, right? We would endeavor to put it into practice. And that's the point here in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And folks, that's the, that's the point that the Holy Spirit is making through Paul's pen in Colossians. Serve this way. You're serving an earthly employer, but serve that earthly employer as if you're serving the Lord, knowing that of the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. Right? Your employer may not ever really give you the recognition and appreciation that they should give you for your wholehearted service to them. They may not ever acknowledge that. They may not ever adequately compensate you for that, right? Now, obviously, in our setting, um, where we're not owned by that employer, we have the opportunity, again, seeking counsel of the Lord and counsel of godly people, we have the opportunity to seek different employment, right? But regardless of that, the reality is that, that, again, an earthly employer may never adequately, properly acknowledge and recognize our service. But the Lord will, right? And uh, it will not be lost on him. And so we are to believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. <clears throat> Our living for the Lord is encouraged even in the face of affliction at the end of chapter 10 of Hebrews. And uh, there verse 35 says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, endurance, that after you have done the will of God, and folks, in a work setting, the will of God is Colossians 3, 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. That's the will of God in that work setting. So after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And what is also interesting, again, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have this example of Moses. Notice verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Why? For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And the idea is reward from whom? From the Lord. Right? And and again, it's 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 not necessarily in this life that it would be received, right? But certainly ultimately it would. Let's keep reading verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. It took faith for him too. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, when, which the Egyptians, is saying to do, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Whoops, where did we go? 
Hmm. I thought there was another Moses one. I don't have it. Okay, so um, I guess it's in those verses that we already read, uh, especially verse 26, that uh, recompense of reward from the Lord right, is, is what is in view there. Okay, and so the idea is the motivation, the encouragement to bear up, to serve wholeheartedly, back in Colossians 3, is knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. We do serve the Lord Christ. And then there is, uh, again, that one word of caution. We touched about it uh, on it last week in verse 25. Uh, he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. So again, I think the, the, what is in view there is the Lord and his dealings with us, right? And so if we fail to serve him as we ought, then he will correct us, right? He, as a loving father, will chasten us. And uh, by his grace, that chastening changes us, right? doesn't leave us the same. We learn our lesson and we adjust our conduct. And uh, so the Lord here is challenging us in our work setting, challenging us in our service, calling us to obey, to obey in all things, very broad statement, again, the implied exception uh, when the employer is telling us to violate God's command, and then that encouragement that we don't do it just to be seen by our boss, but that we understand that as a child of God, I'm serving the Lord. And again, what does it mean entirely, the reward of the inheritance? You know, the Bible doesn't give us all of the details, but it gives us enough to know that it's good, right? And as I pointed out last time, right, I think the situation that we've got is exactly what the Lord testified to when the master gave the talents to his servants and, you know, went his way. And one day that master is coming back and he's going to call his servants to account, right? And the servant that served well, was made ruler over ten cities or whatever, right? The reward was given. And so here we are. The Lord, as I said last week, hasn't give us, given us a bag of money, but maybe he's given us a job, right? And he's looking for a certain kind of service from us out of that job or in that job, right? And uh, he has promised that as we serve him well, as is described in these verses, um, that will not be lost on him, right? And uh, the recompense will be there. And so it is. To, it falls to us to be a faithful slave to our heavenly master, right? That will be evident in our conduct in the workplace, right? And uh, that the Lord really, I think, is challenging us to bring our relationship with him into that workplace and allow it to shape our conduct. All right, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us your truth. And your truth touches on these very basic human relationships. Wives and their husbands, children and their parents, servants and their masters. And Lord, you, you have shown us in the pages of Scripture uh, these principles to live by. Um, these principles require your grace, your help, the power of your Spirit, 
wisdom to discern and make the appropriate choices and applications to our specific circumstances. And so, Lord, we pray for your help. Surely, Lord, our desire is to be pleasing unto you. Surely our desire is that our living would not bring reproach unto your name. Surely our desire is that our living and our working and our interacting in the marketplace would be such that we have an opportunity, a platform for bearing witness to Jesus Christ. And by your grace, seeing some of our co-laborers or our employers come themselves to saving faith in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray for your help, for your enablement. We pray, Lord, for you to do in us this good work. Uh, Open our eyes. May we evaluate our conduct. And may we adjust anything that your Spirit convicts us of as being not what pleases you. And so, Lord, we pray for your help. We pray for your enablement. We pray for your blessing, Lord. These are good things that you call us to. So enable us to do them. And Lord, would you be pleased to bless. Be with any, Lord, among us who have employers who are less than they should be and who make life difficult and hard. Lord, we pray especially your grace. We pray your strength. We pray, Lord, uh, your ministry to the heart of that brother or sister uh, that it has to bear up under that. And may they do it, Lord, with a great effect and testimony to those around them. Uh, and we pray that in all of this, your Son would be magnified by our living and that you would draw others unto him. So help us, and in this way, may we serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.